Welcome to another uh, Direct Connect with Archer. I'm Senior Vice President of Client Relationship, Mark Bromstead, here at Archer. Uh, along with me is Nick Weber, Steve Parker, both managing partners here at Archer. Hello, Nick. Hello, Steve. How are you today? Hello, Mark. I'm doing well. Good to be here again. Very good. Well, it's that time of year. We've got graduations and schools ending and kids moving on to new things. Uh, I know uh, it's been a, been a busy, busy several weeks for, for our household as well. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about today a little bit is internal controls. Um, you all have quite a bit of experience on internal controls um, through different lenses. Um, and so I thought, you know, especially in the electric utility sector, um, internal controls has been a hot topic for the last couple of years. Um, but I want to make this a much broader conversation about internal controls. So maybe first and foremost, and whoever wants to answer it uh, can. Um, maybe a good way to start for those that aren't involved in internal controls on a daily basis is to define what is an internal control. So I don't know who, who wants to take that one. And you can feel well, free to pull up Webster's Dictionary version if you'd like. <laughs> uh, I, it's a control that's uh, internal to the organization, right? So um, I'll, I'll, I'll try to tackle, ta tackle that. You know, when I, when I hear the term internal control, I think it's really a formal term and it's a formality um, not a formality per se, but it's a more formal way of approaching security. Really, everything you do in security, typically in some way, shape, or form, is a control. And when we think about controls, we we think of the you know the three primary attributes, right? You have prevention, you have detection, and you have correction. Um, the concept of internal controls probably began you know in the financial sector. Um, how do you put controls to make sure things you don't want to happen don't actually happen? Um, in security, we've been doing it for you know for a long time. We don't always call it that. Um, and you mentioned this conversations in the electric sector, um, things that have been promulgated by NERC in the regions, uh, gaining gaining steam recently. We'll obviously talk more in more depth about that as we go through here. Um, but they've been using that term internal control um, to focus on, on on activities that are more formalized, perhaps than. Uh, just doing security work. So I, I don't know if, that, if there's a great definition. Um, I guess an internal control is just that it's a control that you deploy internally to your organization that is either preventing something, detecting something, or correcting something. What that something is, we'll talk about that. That's often the uh, the challenge is figuring out what those, what those control objectives are. I think back to, it was one of the WEC outreach events a few years ago when I believe it was Jennifer Hart kind of explained it that in the context of getting her, her kids to school in the morning, all the different controls she has in place to make sure she reaches that objective. Did a good job of taking a kind of, Steve, to your point, kind of a common everyday task and then breaking it down into the things that you have to do to make that work. And then making sure you hit those within the certain parameters. And it was like, make sure they've brushed their teeth by, by seven o'clock and they've had breakfast by seven ten. And really breaking that down into those individual steps that you can very clearly see, again, whether on that detective side, whether you're starting to miss or not, and then take those preventive or corrective steps. So it was a great example, and I wish I had, I, I could do Jennifer's work justice on it because it was one that anybody who's tried to get a kid read in the morning that went, oh, now I get it. Um, yeah, and uh, that whether you're getting a toddler ready for preschool or a senior ready for high school, both apply. 
I can tell you that. Well, when you look at controls, um, you know, really what I'm thinking about is uh, those that are um, companies that house critical data or, or critical infrastructure clients. How would you guys rate the importance of having a formal internal controls program? You know, Steve, I think you said it best on the front end. You know, a lot of what you do in security is 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 a control in some form or fashion. But when you talk, when you think about it from a formal uh, controls program, how important it, how important is it for organizations to have it? Well, I, th I think ultimately it's, it's going to end up being very very important. And and you might not call it an internal controls program. It might go by different names. So it could be risk management. It could be maturity processes or, or whatnot. Um, you know, how critical it is immediately really depends on where you are in the maturity scale um, versus, uh, uh, you know, you get into controls, it, it is a more formal and more mature state of, of being. Um, I think back to a, a presentation I saw, gee, probably close to two decades ago, a gentleman by the name of Dan Gear, and he was talking about, uh, kind of loosely about controls. And he said, you know, the, the first thing you do if your house, when your house is burning down is you put the fire out. Right? You don't you don't think about building codes when the city's burning. But as you start to get those fires out, you then you start to think, well, gee, maybe we need some building codes so we won't have as many fires. And then you start to do that. And then and then you need to have follow-up and, and enforcement on the building codes and inspections. And you begin to mature and you begin to set up those those controls. And um, you know, if if you want to build a house, which I'm I'm in the trying to build a house and we gotta go get permits, right? So that's a control. You have to get the permit. To, to, to do the construction and then the, the county or the city will come out and do an inspection and, and that sort of thing. So it, it really is it really is a maturity, but ultimately, if you want to be successful in a security program or in a compliance program, you need to get to a level of maturity that's going to have controls, whether you call them controls or not, whatever yeah. terminology you use, you're going to have them or you're not going to succeed. That's interesting. Have you guys ever seen a company start on what might be perceived as controls where they are not mature enough and they're trying to go down a path where they shouldn't just yet anyway i'd say what i've seen more likely and it kind of dovetails off what steve was saying is kind of this concept of a forced controls program that doesn't start with what are we already doing and identifying the existing controls people i think conflate it into something it really isn't controls are, are part of everything we do every day um, every time we learn something and we our brain creates a, a bias or a, or anything we, we do to help make those decisions a little faster there's a control involved in that so it doesn't necessarily have to be this great big huge um, managed process i think the most mature ones are because then you can measure and you can articulate and continue to grow but the biggest thing i see is are people will usually come back from some sort of training session or benchmarking or, or work group and try to put controls that are from somewhere else over an existing organization um, rather than look at their what their current processes and cultures are and catalog the good work they're already doing and then focus in on where they can tighten things up. That's probably the biggest thing I see as far as the maturation piece is this concept that you can just automatically jump to a high level of maturity. Yeah, one thing one thing I've seen, I think perhaps one of the most common mistakes is control programs are, are they're executed in a way in which they're aspirational as opposed to realistic. You know, you say, "Oh, what 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 are our controls going to be or what's our policy going to be?" And immediately your security team or whoever's working on it will go to, "Well, this is what it should be. Right? This is what we want to be to be secure, but it's not attainable." So, yeah. 
you, you can't start at the highest level, right? You need, to, you need to work up to that. And you have to be realistic and practical about what you can actually implement. Having controls on paper, policies on paper, whatever you call them, if you can't execute on those, they're they're worthless. Why why bother? You need to be able to execute um, on those controls, or they're not going to work. Obviously, I would jump on that too, Steve, and say, do your your people who didn't write the controls can they understand them, or are they just buzzwords? Because if the people carrying the workout every day just see something they don't understand, that's not a control. Yeah, I know that uh, with some of the <clears throat> clients and that I get to work with, many of them have more formal control programs in their business office, um, in, in their corporate office. But when it comes to the internal control systems, um, or excuse me, industrial control systems, um, and, and uh, the operational technology, they're first starting to formalize those. I didn't know if that's something that you guys have seen as well, where business office have been down that path, but the OT or the ICS really hasn't been yet. From a from a formality perspective, that's probably true. Um, just because uh, your your corporate security teams, right? They've obviously had uh, easier inroads into the IT, the corporate side of things. Uh, the operational technology security is relatively new as a discipline, relatively new as a concern. You know, within the last five years, perhaps, or certainly not more than a decade, um, when it's when it's really gained prominence. So it takes time. I don't know that that means that there aren't controls, right? There, sure. there probably are controls in, uh, of some sort, um, but not as formal, not as mature, um, probably not as strong as as they should be. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's I think it's fair to say that it's relatively new in the operational side of the house from a security perspective. I know a couple of the ones that we've um, worked with over the last uh, year or so. It wasn't that they didn't have them, but they they surely didn't have them cataloged and documented as well as what they wanted to, and that was really part of their their overall process. Um, I know you know industrial control systems and and just uh, critical infrastructure in general. You guys work with a lot, but uh, maybe narrow it down a little bit to electric utilities and and maybe oil and gas pipelines. Are you seeing are you seeing them both? I'll say equally mature in their journey in controls, or are you know from a um, electric utility position, they've been um, from through NERC have been really pushing the the concept of internal controls much longer than I'll uh, say in the oil and gas space formally at least from a regulation standpoint. So, what are you seeing as a difference between those two uh, organizations? Well, I, I'll have to admit to a little bit of sampling bias uh, sure. to 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 begin with, and there's been a lot more emphasis on this on the electric side. Uh, the electric side has had mandatory security regulations, uh, compliance requirements for some time. But um, from a formal internal controls perspective, I don't know that there's a great difference between the two. I, I would give okay. the edge to the electric sector just because they've had compliance programs. But even even there where you have mature compliance programs, the documentation, the formal cataloging, the identification of those controls, I think it's just beginning. Um, they're probably stronger on the electric side than they than they are generally in oil and gas, um, but they're not certainly all that well documented at the moment. Um, maybe we'll go on the path a little bit on um, you know some of the topics that I've been uh, listening to some of some of you guys talk about and some of our clients talk about is um, how how they need to leverage controls as part of their NERC audits or their regional audits. It's it, it's been 
different people, different clients have had different experiences um, based off of where where they are in the country, maybe where they who they drew as an auditor. How are you seeing that play out as through some of your um, uh, audit preparation and, and audit support uh, conversations with clients? It, it's really hit or miss. I've seen differences between the regions. Um, Again, a little bit of sampling bias. I'm a, I have a little bit more visibility into the WEC region. Been following that closely. Uh, they have uh, some very specific activities they've been doing and putting out more documentation and guides on what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the MRO region, for example, has been very big on controls or at least risk, kind of a, the risk-aware compliance enforcement, trying to minimize the risk of violations. Um I think they were were one of the early adopters of the internal controls evaluation going to self-logging for from a compliance perspective. Uh, so those are two that I probably had the most visibility into. Um, in general, uh, NERC's been very active in trying to promote this. Uh, I think they had a little bit of a setback recently with FERC. They were trying to make some changes to their uh, compliance monitoring and enforcement program. Uh, and FERC did not give them the amount of flexibility I think they were seeking. Uh, and part of that was going to be based on this approach to evaluating controls and then uh, perhaps changing the audit scope and audit frequency based on that. Uh, and FERC's not allowing them to do that. So it's still it's still in flux. There's differences between the regions. And I don't know that the, the push for internal controls quite knows what it wants to be when it grows up yet. I think uh, we're seeing a little bit more definition, but by no means do we have a very clear picture on where we're going to end up just yet, in my opinion. And I'd agree. And I think it's, it's another case where I think people are trying to, to force it more than it naturally occurs. Um, one of the things that I think back to the internal controls, when I was an auditor, a lot of that was kind of built into the um, reasonable assurance level. The, the better you saw the programs, processes, tools, how that was all put together, um, the quicker you got reasonable assurance and the less tomes of evidence you would have to go to go through before you felt, yeah, they're, they've got a pretty good handle on things. Whereas on the flip side, if you saw something that was really not well documented, you didn't get good answers in interviews or data requests, then you'd spend a lot more time before you felt like they, you could reach reasonable assurance that they were, they were compliant. Um, and as far as I know, we only have really one standard on the SIP side where they've tried to write in any sort of controls. And that's SIP uh, 14 with the R2, R6 unaffiliated third-party review. And I would say as far as how that's been audited, it's been a, it has not met the intent behind that of trying to use that as a control to judge the, the risk. Um, and I think that was something where there's, there's a lot of work to be done on the, the standard writing side before you can really start to evaluate controls. I mean, at the end of the day, the standards are the language or the, the law of the land for them. As much as we want things to be different until that standard language changes, I don't see it really standing up to scrutiny through the enforcement process. I think that's where, reading the tea leaves a little bit, I think that's kind of where FERC is looking at it, saying, you know, we understand what you're trying to do here. This makes some sense, but make your rules make sense for that first. That's one of the big pieces I've heard from a number of different um, utilities who've gone through, particularly those NERC audits, is, not understanding the assignment anymore because the assignment has changed and it's not documented anywhere. And the controls piece gets blamed for that a lot. I think that's a fair assessment. And what we've seen in the WEC region is where WEC is um, 
I guess making up risks, making up is probably a harsh way of, of putting it, but they're uh, evaluating the or identifying, I think is the word they use, identifying the risks of a given entity and then identifying where the, you know, what those risks could lead to and then identifying the, the types of controls they're looking for. And it's really inventing this whole new regime that isn't supported by the Section 215 language. Um, if they were to stick with, we have compliance requirements, um, we want to know what controls you put in place to assure those compliance requirements are being met. Then I think it ties very closely to the internal compliance program that FERC's been very fond of and, and pushes very strongly. In fact, it says it if you look at the, the NERC policy on enforcement, it talks very clearly that a strong internal compliance program will have effective controls to prevent instances of, non, of noncompliance and detect them when they occur and get them corrected. So as long as you keep this this push for internal controls in that context, I think it works just fine. But I do see signs with WEC, for example, where they're, where they're trying to, whether they don't understand what what should be done with controls or, or I, I don't know what they're thinking, but they appear to be trying to make up a new thing to look at and to audit. And I don't see that as being necessary, um, but unfortunately they seem to be going down that path. So um, I, I think they're a little bit beyond where they should be, in my opinion, um, given their, their role and their authorities under Section 215. What about um, for a client who is mature in their in their security processes, but really hasn't gone down the path of a formal um, controls program? Where would you tell them to start? Well, I would kind of go back to my earlier point. Start with what you're doing. Identify where you have controls, and maybe they're not controls that are across the organization. Maybe they're in one department. Maybe they're one person. I was, when I think of internal controls, I was thinking one of the guys I worked with at Grant, when we asked about what his controls were for making sure he was checking patch sources, he goes, well, I get paid every 14 days. So on payday, I check for I check my sources. That way I never go over. And it was just one of those where I kind of stopped for a second, shook my head. Okay, well, you're all right. That makes sense. If it works for you, by all means. But I think it's, it's starting with those little ones that are out there, what people have learned over the course of doing the job. Um, you talk to anybody who's done the job, whether they've been on it for a week or for 15, 16 years, they've got their little tips and tricks, and usually those are controls. That's that's where I would start is figure out where you got, what you've got before you decide what you need. I'll second that. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, the mistakes that I see made trying to be aspirational on your control program is a mistake. To Nick's point, documenting what you have is the place to start, right? Because you document it, you know it's being done. Then you can go back and say, okay, are we doing enough? Are there gaps? Um, if you have a violation or if you have an incident, you can say, was there a control we should have had that we did not that would have prevented this or detected it sooner? Uh, and if so, then you can say, okay, let's let's work on some new controls. But yeah, definitely, I 100% on on board with what Nick said. Start with what you got, document it, and then go from there. And I would say, look at look at every incident or violation or, or whatever. Do the lessons learned. To kind of Steve's point, formalize those. We do that already. That's usually you've got controls buried in there that you're overlooking, whether they're ones you could add or ones you need. That makes sense. Similar to how we think about with our clients, with their with the software and hardware that they're using in place, right? It's it, usually they have great tools in place. They just haven't optimized or maximized the solution. Um, it's kind of the same thing. 
So maybe just a couple minutes left. Any any parting thoughts for anyone in uh, ICS or, or operational technology on internal controls? Okay, so I'll jump in first, and I'll let Steve close off because I know he's got some soapboxes here that he can hop on. But <laughs> I would say that I may have seen him well on this one. <laughs> Make the internal controls approachable. Don't let them be a buzzword. It's not some, don't let it be the new flavor of the month for your management or leadership style. Um, build it with, build it with your culture, not for your culture. Again, I'll get on my soapbox and uh, uh, keep it simple, right? The, the kiss, right? Keep it simple, stupid. Yep. <laughs> uh, don't, don't overthink it, right? Don't, don't be aspirational uh, because what you document for your controls program, you're going to be tested on. Right, they they should be deployed and working and functional. Keep it keep it simple, and it doesn't a control doesn't have to be something expensive. It doesn't have to be something fancy. It could be as simple as oh, it's payday. I got to do my patching, or or, or something of that nature. Uh, it, you can have manual controls, right? You have a lot of controls that are already in place. You might not know about, right? Everyone's got a change process. Everyone has a process to authorize access. Um, so there's a lot of things you have that are already there. Document them, formalize them, uh, test them from time to time. Um, and it's not as hard as you, you, you think it ought to be. But um, if you really do think it's hard and you want some help, you know who to call. Excellent. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Nick. Uh, another great episode of Direct Connect with Archer. Um, Nick, Steve, thank you for your time. Have a great afternoon. Take care. Thanks, Mark. Been a pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Not only is Direct Connect available to listen to, you can also watch each episode on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Archer News Network. If you're interested in who we are and what we do, head on over to our website at archerint.com. That's archerint.com. You can also follow us on our social media platforms, Archer International on Facebook, Archer Energy Solutions, LLC, on LinkedIn, at Archer underscore INTL on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and check back every other week for brand new episodes.